Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, listeners, host Brad Kearns, and I'm catching up with Tanya Teshka, our wonderful author of Bordeaux Kitchen. Thanks for joining us across the world, Tanya. Hi, Brad. It's nice to be here. Okay, you're hanging in, you're hanging in Switzerland. I'm here in California. This is the, the beauty of podcasting. Yeah. Um, we promise we're going to meet someday and celebrate the incredible release of this masterpiece. And I don't use these terms lightly, but this, this work that you've created is absolutely stunning. It's lengthy. It's been cut way back from your original draft. But it's basically uh, a masterpiece on French culture, uh, French cooking, uh, the, the wine traditions that are aligned with that. And it's all uh, inspired by the primal paleo ancestral health principles. Does that sound like a pretty good description of your, of your work here? It does. Thanks, Brad. That's, that's very kind of you. But yes, that sounds, sounds about right. Yeah, and we get a lot of submissions at Primal Blueprint Publishing, and they're of, of varying degrees of uh, uh, clarity and uh, you know work in progress. And then uh, when you first contacted me, um, and you're you're telling me about this book and sending me you know drafts of the chapters, and it's clear that this has been sort of a uh, a culmination of life's work or, or many years of intensive study of these subjects that we mentioned in the content of the book. So I just want to get into the story of how how this journey started to where you're putting all the pieces together. Uh, we know you're an American, good California girl, grew up on the West Coast, and now uh, tell us about the time you spent in other cultures and how that's influenced the the whole story here. Yeah, well, um, you know the the book itself has been about four to five years in the making. Um, but I mean, you could go back to, um, my health issues as a child or my interest in food and culture growing up. Um, my family is actually German. So I kind of grew up with the German culture, everything from the kinds of foods they ate like liverwurst, um, and to, uh, you know, the way that they are very conscious about the environment and um, save water, save resources. It's, you know, relatively limited um, space that Germany has and that Europe has. And so the Europeans are pretty conscious environmentally and um, have a long tradition with food and where it comes from. So I kind of grew up with that. Um, and at some point I started learning French and I went to France as a teenager. Um, and I also studied there in college and kind of fell in love with it, but, you know, not really knowing much about food and nutrition, of course, um, and not even really interested in it. And, um, uh, it wasn't until we, um, my family and I, my husband and my children moved to Bordeaux that I started learning a little bit more about food because I was interested in learning about the uh, French, uh, French cuisine to kind of augment my uh, repertoire of what I was feeding my children. And um, if I back up a little bit, um, I'll just tell you that my husband is a, uh, he works with the Foreign Service um, 
U.S. State Department. So he gets posted to various places. So we've been, you know, to um, our first post was actually Paris. And that was before we had children, which was um, pretty fun. And then we moved to Moscow where we had our first child, though we came back to the States to have her. And then we moved to Tokyo where we had our second child and then back to Moscow. And while we were in uh, Moscow, uh, you know, we knew a, a year before we, we went to Bordeaux that we were going to go to Bordeaux. So I started um, learning about wine there. And um, it was in Moscow that actually I, I first learned about um, or heard about these people who were sort of doing caveman-like lifestyles, you know, you know, going to sleep when it's dark and living like cavemen. It was sort of a weird, um, it seemed very weird to me. How could you possibly do that in this modern world? Anyway, meanwhile, I, we knew we were coming to Bordeaux, so I started learning a little bit about wine. And then we got to Bordeaux in... Um, 2013. And um, I was really excited to be there. And I, um, you know, started connecting with winemakers, because that's every other person you meet there is a winemaker, it seems. And I started photographing because I'm, I'm a photographer. That was my, it's been my passion for a long time. And, um, and I started learning about French cuisine. I was really curious. Um, I wanted to augment uh, my repertoire of cooking for my family. Um, and and little did I know that, um, you know, while I was there, um, that uh, even though I was so happy to be there, my, my health, um, you know, I was starting to feel uh, depressed um, and having digestive issues, though I'd had those before too. But, you know, being in this place that I really wanted to be in, but feeling um, more and more terrible as I went along. And um, so I, I didn't realize then, but my path to sort of the ancestral approach to health, finding health, and this sort of learning about French culture and gastronomy would sort of merge at some point. Um, which eventually turned into this book. Um, but, um, you know, I, I was really fatigued and had a lot of brain fog and didn't, uh, didn't know why. And, uh, my, my husband luckily was really good at Google searches and started searching for me and, um, to help me find some answers to my health issues. And um, he came across podcasts. Um, first, first he came across um, books um, such as uh, the Grain Brain. That's really that was really the turning point for me by David, Dr. David Perlmutter. He was being interviewed by um, Sean Croxton, and I just, you know, I listened to that, and then I listened to every single one of his podcasts, and just it went on from. You know, all the all the issues that you hear about, you know, people lacking magnesium, um, phytates in, in legumes and all the problems with grains and how saturated fats are healthy. And so I was learning all of these things um, and learning French cuisine at the same time. <laughs> wow. So the timing of all these factors is very interesting. They just kind of flowed together. You weren't some hardcore primal paleo person who got dropped in France, but it seems like everything's trickling in 
And then you got that uh, overlay of the health problem, which is such a common story uh, from people in our ancestral health world where I, I guess it's like the the motivation or the um, the desire to learn the passion is is heightened because you're suffering and it's it's too bad that that's the the gateway for most people to enter the scene but um, for whatever for whatever reason you started to uh, do the do the Google searches and uh, and get into the mix and then you happen to be just based in France it's it's interesting yeah and um, so I you know was learning more and more I was just so hungry for knowledge you know I burned through all the podcasts. Primal Blueprint and Rob Wolf and Jimmy Moore and all those. But uh, like I said, you know, I was taking photographs in the vineyards, learning about winemaking. I even took a class at the University of Bordeaux that was a year long in the science of wine tasting, all in French. So it was kind of baptism by fire with learning chemistry again and learning about wine. And and I just put all these things together uh, slowly, collecting recipes and taking, you know, some cooking classes and then asking the chefs of these cooking classes if they would help me out. You know, I was thinking about doing a book and would they come and do some recipes in my kitchen in Bordeaux. <laughs> and so that's kind of how that all started. And it wasn't, I didn't just work with chefs. I worked with, you know, um, home cooks, um, you know, one one of my first recipes I did at a chateau where the woman, uh, you know, she sells her wine, but also um, cooks for the family. So we did a recipe together, and um, you know, it just went like that. And and because I'm I was so curious and excited about it all, I was always there with my camera, taking pictures, you know, of everything, kind of documenting it and writing down recipes. And at some point, I realized that this was really maybe fodder for, for a book. And I had always wanted to write a book anyway. I just never dreamed it would be a cookbook. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It, it seems like the stars were aligning, kind of like someone who uh, moves to, to Boulder and sees all these people uh, biking and running around them, and then they decide to be an athlete, and they, they realize they're really good at it. It's, that's so cool. And I guess uh, always in the background – uh, is this a, a little bit of suffering and health challenges that obviously you're not going to get addressed by uh, traditional medicine. So how did those two go hand in hand as you deepened your immersion into French culture, but are also consuming these podcasts like crazy and, and uh, trying to figure out why your your brain's foggy while you're trying to learn how to taste wine in, in French? Maybe that's the reason right there. <laughs> your Your total immersion was so brutal. Like, I can't even imagine sitting in a classroom in a different language learning about something I have... <laughs> You know, no experience, but you you went for it. That's cool. Yeah, it was it was it was brutal, but you know, I I have a thirst for knowledge, I guess. Um, so that kept my brain going at least, and so I was listening to all of these podcasts and and slowly but surely implementing some of the things that uh, you know were uh, in in the podcast as a part of this ancestral approach. Um, such as letting go of grains, which I have to say in France is really certainly a challenge, you know, with baguette stores, uh, bakeries all over the place. And, you know, I started off eating, you know, baguettes and croissants in the morning with jam and, um, you know, bread at meals and it just cereal and, uh, and then wondering, gee, why don't I have a lot of energy? 
so slowly I, I sort of phased, started phasing that out. Um, even with my family, you know, we went from the boxed cereals to just some oatmeal. And I have to say that it, it was kind of a, like a two year process. Not, not, this was not overnight, but for me, I, um, I pretty much stopped cold Turkey after a, uh, after one of these kind of club med experiences where you get all you can eat and uh, it brings out the worst in everyone because everyone just eats everything. And I would eat two desserts and two croissants. And uh, after that, I just had to stop. Uh, <laughs> so where was the resort? Somewhere in France? Or? Somewhere in France, yeah. Uh, on, the, on the ocean down in the Southwest. And, uh, you know, even the quality, the quality of the wine was terrible, I can say. And, um, but it was free. Hey, it was free. Right. Well, that's the thing they give you sort of the lowest common denominator. And, um, like I said, it brings out the worst in people, but so I stopped eating that, uh, you know, the grains and started to sort of eat less sugar and, um, Oh, so really after the, um, after the all-inclusive vacation, you came back and that was sort of your turning point where you were maybe um, realizing that it wasn't all pleasure and indulgence, that you kind of felt crappy? Or, or what was the trigger to get you turned? Yeah. Well, I just, I knew I had overdone it and I was sick of it. And I, you know, I was listening to all these inspiring people who were giving up grains and I knew, I knew that it was better for me. And, you know, I've, I've had sort of blood sugar issues. Um, and, and I, you know, I didn't see doctors actually in France, but while we were in, in Moscow, we had, you know, we had doctors on the embassy compound, uh, just American doctors. And I always was sort of borderline pre-diabetic. Um, and, uh, you know, I tried to, cut out sugar, you know, now and then, but it really wasn't until I realized that I needed to, well, up the fats in my diet and in my family's diet and, and lower the sugars, carbs, grains, all of that. Um, and, you know, in the French cooking, I found that it's, uh, you know, they use, traditionally they used real fats, like butter or lard, um, tallow. And nowadays, even online, you know, if you go look up a recipe in French, they're, they're never, I've not seen one recipe using tallow, for example, which is a perfectly wonderful fat. Um, you know, and I've learned a lot now in the last four or five years of my research, how beneficial you know, these saturated animal fats are for the brain making, you know, our hormones and cholesterol that we need to survive. Um, and, and, you know, I was anemic for much of my life, um, or borderline anemic. So there's a lot of background things happening here. You said borderline anemic your whole life, and then you referred to some health problems you had as a child. So you've been soldiering along with this nagging stuff, and then finally, um, you know, facing it head on as you're as you're consuming these podcasts and uh, realizing that uh, there's there's these forgotten traditions in French culture, and you're shaking your head, wondering uh, wh- what happened to the saturated fat, and, and putting the pieces together. It sounds like. 
Well, you know, what I'll say, too, is that um, I actually had uh, my appendix rupture um, about 20 years ago. Um, I was living also overseas just on my own after college. Uh, My first job after college was in Central Asia, (laughs) uh, in Kazakhstan. And I was, um, you know, I had been up until that point for about two years, uh, a vegetarian. You know, I went to a, uh, to a liberal arts university and everyone there was, not everyone, but I was sort of in with an ultimate Frisbee crowd and a lot of people were vegetarians and I was very into um, the, you know, even then eating organic foods and being worried and conscious about the environment. And um, so I... I was a vegetarian and in Kazakhstan, especially so, because, you know, if you go to the market, you see these carcasses hanging on hooks and the flies and it's just very unappetizing. And um, so I kind of had the ethical side of vegetarianism as well as the um, sort of a dis- disgusted side. You know, I don't want to touch that stuff. So, but I I realize now that I was very nutrient deficient, and I think that's what broke me down at the end. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, I I had my appendix rupture. I had to be medevaced to Germany and was in the hospital for six weeks. Yeah, it was from it was, uh, from Kazakhstan. They had to take you to Germany. Yeah, well, I I asked if I could go there because instead of all <laughs> the way to the states because I had relatives there. But I ended up in a small county hospital, and they didn't. They thought I was a Kazakhstan, a Kazakhstani, actually, because <laughs> I spoke Russian, but I also spoke German, and they, they were all mixed up. And um, do you like the movie Borat? Are you from Kazakhstan? <laughs> no, I am not from Kazakhstan. Fix my appendix, please. I yes. had to do a Borat. I mean, we we have to have a Borat commercial since we're oh, not yeah. doing mid-roll commercials. Those are so annoying. But goodness, I mean, they, so you're saying that they, they couldn't really care for you uh, in Kazakhstan? I mean, No, no, no. I, I did go to... Oh, mercy. You don't want to end up in a hospital. And, well, I guess you could, and people... They're, they're much better now, I'm sure. But um, I, you know, the care there was... I went to a missionary who gave me outdated lactate pills for my... Um, what I think now was... Uh, well, it was IBS. It was, um, you know, it may it may also have been parasites even back then, um, because actually before I even went to Kazakhstan, I had spent some time in um, in Moscow as a student because I I did Russian studies and French studies at at my university, and um, and so I did some study abroad. And I remember at the end of my semester in Moscow getting very sick. It's the kind of, you know, sickness that you don't, you don't forget how painful it was. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, when I was in Bordeaux starting to put all the pieces together, I, I contacted um, Dr. Dan Kalish, who had been on various, you know, interviews and podcasts I'd, I'd been listening to and asked for his help. And he actually did find um, a parasite. And he thought that maybe it had been there for 
quite some time, possibly since, uh, you know, 1991, <laughs> which is a long time. But when you're young, you kind of can push through, he said. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that may have been the case for me because I seem to always have been fatigued. And I remember after that semester in Moscow, I went to Paris for a semester and was depressed and had infections and, you know, just things, uh, things weren't so happy go lucky, but somehow I, you know, like I said, just pushed through. And, and then a few years later, I had this appendix rupture in Kazakhstan. And I, I think it's all kind of linked. Um, and the other thing about Kazakhstan, which might be of interest is that, you know, how Dr. Kate Shanahan talks a lot about the vegetable oils and how they oxidize or are oxidized even before they're put into the bottles. Well, in Kazakhstan at the time, this was, you know, 1994, uh, there was a lot of, I would say, dumping going on by European countries where they, they dumped outdated condiments and, um, you know, vegetable oils. Everyone used vegetable oil. Um, whatever it was, they just called it vegetable oil, corn oil or whatever. And so that's one of the last things that I ate before the appendix ruptured was, you know, a salad of beets with, with this vegetable. <laughs> oh God, I just, I, it, it pains me to think that, you know, and people still are consuming this stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's funny to, uh, tie it to 1994 Kazakhstan and how backwards and ill-informed they are. And then you can go down to Whole Foods and get organic canola oil. So uh, it seems like, um, just to divert a little bit into that specific topic, and you and I have uh, talked extensively with Kate and, and know some of this, but um, or have been exposed to this information, but um, why is it still holding strong as a grocery store item when the research is so compelling that this stuff has uh, already sustained oxidative damage. And then when you heat it up, it, it causes further damage to the extent that Kate's favorite quote is um, consuming vegetable oil is no different than eating a bottle of radiation. Right. <laughs> oh God. Well, for one thing, uh, it's cheap. And, you know, I was talking to a chef recently in Bordeaux and um, he, you know, they use, sunflower seed oil because it's cheaper than uh, the traditional what the traditional recipes would call for which is clarified butter and you know butter is is more expensive and then when you clarify it you lose some of that volume um, but you know if you go back to the traditional recipes that's really what you need to use and it, but it just it increases the price for restaurants uh, even in France, you know, it increases the price across the board, and uh, it's so it's just so handy and easy to have that bottle of oil there and just cook everything in it. You know, and people can't really necessarily taste any difference, though I would argue that it's better with butter. 
Um. <laughs> no, those those nuances are important. And what really hurts my feelings is that the the price I'm paying for the entree, where there's such a massive amount of markup to the extent that the food cost is almost insignificant, and especially these days when we just go to even a fast casual place to have some food. I had a great meal yesterday in L.A. at this place called Eureka, and it's a chain that's expanded out in numerous cities, and it's super healthy and all that great stuff. And you know, you're paying seven. 17 bucks for a hamburger or something. Yeah. And if they're if they're cooking it in oil on account that it's cheap and that's sort of the restaurant policy, you know, that's that's really disgraceful that they're trying to cut corners when they already have so much padding in there. Yeah, I think well, I think it's it's hard to make a profit in the restaurant business and um you know, it, it, if people don't really know the difference and and I don't think that chefs most chefs aren't necessarily informed of the health hazards of vegetable oils and it's criminal really i i i don't know well i'm hoping that through this book that whoever reads it and listens will you know realize and um, especially chefs you're right we will give chefs a 10 percent discount just cite just just write the code word chef into the checkout point but really uh you're right because if the if the word spreads to the right people then you have some uh conventional wisdom really toppling over and that's why uh it, it's so nice what you did with the book to bring in the the french culture and the french traditions because believe it or not when we dust things off uh, there were all these wonderful practices that somehow got redirected. And I'm going to put a little bit of blame, no offense, I'm going to blame the United States a little bit for, you know, putting these industrialization of food, uh, injecting it into other cultures. And I remember you going back to your childhood story where you ate uh, a lot of German food, but you also had that overlay that so many, even the even the really, um, uh, you know, sincere families that have keeping those cultural traditions um, they have all these great things happening in the home, and then it's always thrown down with uh, the Seven Eleven and the Ben and Jerry's and the injections of American culture, which um, I was talking about this the other day. I put an Instagram post up to this effect, and I was asking people at a family dinner table, um, can can anyone name some some positive uh, cultural traditions that America brought to cuisine. And um, we couldn't think of any. It's just, you know, it's just the the traditional French stuff. The traditional Mexican meals are so healthy. The little village in Mexico where I like to go down and surf and they have these buffets where you're scooping in, uh, you know, the, the pumpkin, the fresh pumpkin and the chicken made with the uh, sauce from scratch and the incredible salsas. Uh, but then, you know, one block away in this tiny little village is uh, you know, a convenience store that has the same uh, donuts and packaged products, and it's spreading all over the planet. The food companies are making big profits in some of these uh, rural countries where they, they haven't been exposed yet, and that's where they're targeting their their advertising dollars now, Coca-Cola, whatever, the cigarette companies are doing it. Um, but back to France, I want to kind of get to um, the the book and and uh, tell listeners what's in there. Um, but it, it you know we're, we got a little bit of a backstory here where you're a person that's been um, unwell and I guess by traditional medical standards, oh your appendix burst, we took it out, you're okay now, go ahead and go on with your life. But you know these things are really disturbing to me, and obviously some weird stuff's going on. So. Um, tell us about, you know, tackling this parasite issue and then we'll get back into present day and how the, how the French culture is kind of, um, 
pulling it all together. With Dr. Kalish, I had some tests run, and it turned out that you know all my hormonal levels had been flatlined, um, you know, nearing near zero. So of course I was tired and depressed, and just there was there was uh, nothing happening with my body. I just no energy. And, uh, it was really hard to work. Uh, sometimes even had to cancel, you know, photo shoots or, uh, sometimes, um, you know, I just, I just couldn't do it. Uh, and, and at, at some point I had to say no to social, you know, requests, social obligations, and just, um, basically go sleep in a, in a separate room, um, you know, going to bed really early, and uh, just guarding that sleep and trying to to get better uh, was really tough. It was really tough. Um, just just curious now, is this um, did you have good days and bad days, or was it just all kind of lousy flatlined? Because when you say your hormonal levels are flatlined, uh, I mean, was it a struggle to get out of bed every single day kind of thing? You know, I was so used to being tired that uh, it was, you know, there were worse days. And I'll say, you know, when it was rainy or the winter, when there wasn't enough sun, um, but that, that was hard. So there was definitely cycles of better days and, and worse days. I mean, I can't say it was all terrible. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm, I have to live my life and um, raise my children. And, you know, there were a lot of good times in Bordeaux, too, of course. Uh, but just realizing, oh, so there's a reason why I'm so fatigued. You know, after I had the two children, uh, they were about two or three years apart, I, I felt fatigued all the time. And I thought, oh, well, you know, mothers are always tired. But I was particularly tired uh, and then was fe- felt a little bit exonerated by the fact that everything was, you know, came down to, yeah, these parasites eating away at me and not having, and I'm talking about protozoans, not um, other types of things you might imagine. <laughs> um, so, but the... Oh, you mean like mean neighbors or something? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, more like worms and that kind of thing. I mean, those are, those are pretty, pretty gross, but I'm, I'm talking about, you know, these, you can't see them, but they're there, uh, you know, amoebic kind of infections that hang around. And um, so, you know, I took, uh, I did a, some intensive herbal protocols. It's not an easy fix um, after you've been kind of addicted to sugar your whole life and then you're trying to uh, change everything and get more energy, recover, meanwhile, try to live your life so it, and try to work on top of that. So it's, you know, I, I would say that I'm still, I'm still recovering. I'm still trying to figure things out, um, but it it did. I have to say, for my husband, my children, for me, the the focusing on nutrient dense foods was just a huge change. I mean, I had been cooking chicken breasts and salmon, you know, like everyone else for for a long time, uh, and we were we always ate eggs. So at least that kept me from, you know, really falling off the precipice um, in terms of, you know, health and nourishment. But uh, we really focused on 
nutrients, and we still do. You know, we eat eggs and bacon in the morning. The and sometimes I have my children ask their friends or tell me, you know, what, what are their friends eating? And often it's you know a granola bar or only eggs on the weekend. Um, and I I just feel like uh, you know a lot of the behavioral problems of kids in schools, for example, has to do with their lack of nourishment, lack of nutrients. So anyway, for our girls, I just, I try to feed them the most nutrient dense foods I can get them to, to eat. I mean, they, they won't eat organ meats of any kind, but, um, you know, pork or, uh, lamb, they eat duck, uh, they'll eat salmon, but maybe shrimp, but not, not sort of the oily fish that I like to eat, like mackerel and sardines and anchovies, that kind of thing. But, you know, the, the, I would say that ancestral French food is, uh, it really is, you know, a primal paleo food or, or shall I say, you know, lifestyle and approach the, the, the way the traditional French approach um kind of uh i don't know how to say it, like evolved matches the the primal you know what we do in our ancestral approach to to health and and eating you know getting outside people in france they they take their bike to the market and it's sort of a um it's a it's a way of being social they go to the market to get their food every few days. I mean, now they have the supermarkets and they'll, um, you know, it's convenient to just drive to the supermarket and get, get what you need. But right. You're making that, um, that distinction between, and I've seen the, they they have a big supermarket in Nice where we went and got our food when we raced there. I I went there every year for a big race and spent a lot of time. And it was like, so sad to see the bright colors and the, the branding and the cheesy advertisements on all the aisles, just like we see here. But when you say market on the, uh, on the former characterization, you're talking about these incredible uh, farmers market style open air places that have fresh uh, fresh bounty from the surrounding area, and then all the interesting and what's great about the book is there's great pictures of all this stuff where you're you're buying uh, all kinds of interesting uh, animal products that are uh, apparently pretty uh, probably pretty naturally raised animals, and they're, you're getting the the entire uh, animal in in play because that's what's so um, uh, unique to the the French cooking traditions is they're all over that. Your videos are indicative of that too. So um, a big difference between the um, you know the 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 Western style supermarket and just going down to the village. And uh, I guess luckily you still have those options today. Um, even in America, uh, we're we're getting better about that, and the farmers markets are popping up. So I guess that's kind of one of my first takeaways was how how neat that was that you're your sourcing uh, of the food is so much better and, and um, more rewarding than, you know, getting the delivery of the, um, uh, the, the, the already prepared meal and everything's in 27 different Ziploc baggies, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and people, people love that about, you know, the French love, love going to the, to the market, you know, once a week or, um, every few days, it's kind of a social thing. And, you know, you talk to your, 
the, the vegetable vendor, you talk to the butcher, uh, to the lady who sells the poultry and the wine seller, and, you know, uh, you talk to the people in line. Uh, and of course, this takes time, too. And, and um, sometimes people find, well, it just, it just takes too much time, and they want to... <laughs> and I, I did this, too. Sometimes I would go to the supermarket instead. And, but I always came home feeling, you know, tired from that experience, Whereas going to the market nearby, you know, it's outdoors, you're talking to people, you're carrying your own, you know, groceries, you're making decisions um, out there in the fresh air. And it's just a real experience as opposed to the terrible lighting in the windowless supermarket uh, where, you know, you have to push through the aisles and push past all the people and it's, you know kind of a, a miserable experience by comparison. <laughs> it really is. And uh, when you have that dichotomy right in front of your face, like when I go down to Sayulita, Mexico, and see these uh, wonderful food offerings that are all uh, natural and local, and then they have the giant uh, giant Walmart-style market and um, these annoying characters that are uh, you know, selling the food, it's, it's even more cheesy and less sophisticated than like the American advertising campaign where I think we're um, we're kind of over it, but they have these, this guy, you know, in your face on every single aisle in a green jacket. He's just like saying crazy stuff and, and, you know, wanting you to buy the sodas and the, uh, processed foods. And it's like, wow, it's like a, a trip back into tradition. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're right into, um, all that's wrong with present day culture. And I want to, um, just get, uh, convey what's in this book a little better to the reader. And I was just uh, flipping through the pages while we're talking. I'm going to read this little passage because we're talking about the open-air markets just to show like the richness and the quality of your writing and the experience that you get from reading the book. So, we're going to go, we're going to go, Tanya, to page 22 where it says, to market au marche. Is that pronounced right? Au marche. Uh, le marché. Le marché. <laughs> whether by maintain this is Tanya's writing, whether by maintaining a small herb or vegetable garden or by regularly shopping at local farmers' markets, the French still maintain the cultural practice of staying connected to the food they eat as well as to those who produce it. Many French still walk with their wheeled caddies or bike with their baskets to the neighborhood markets. These markets are places for friendly connection where time slows down. You can sometimes even hear nostalgic Edith Piaf tunes from an accordion player at the market or outside a cafe. Getting to know the local fishmonger, butcher, or organic farmer is one way of ensuring a high-quality product and sometimes better prices. Oh, my goodness. And it goes on and on. So, you know, as you, I don't even know if you should call this a cookbook, but it's just this, this journey into uh, the French culture, the wine, and, um, you know, going back to that that paleo ancestral thing, which is so interesting to people in our world, but just to put it all together and kind of take it to the next level where, I mean, you know, I'm a guy from, uh, uh, that grew up in Southern Cal and, and, and stuck around. I didn't go on the global odyssey of, uh, wine classes taught in French. And I think it's really neat to kind of extend the primal paleo theme, which, uh, you know, for me previously has been more of a logistical thing, like learning about the, um, you know, the reason you don't have grains and how the gluten damages the intestinal lining of your body and all the, you know, dozens and hundreds of podcasts that we've uh, dispensed the information on. And now we're kind of uh, taking it to the next level by, you know, by getting the cultural experience too, that's, that's unique to your own personal journey and especially the, uh, 
the French stuff because they deserve to be lauded for just like I read that paragraph. I mean, can you imagine a um, you know a healthier and you know more peaceful lifestyle than having that connection to your community and the food you eat? Yeah, it is. It is a wonderful aspect, and even uh, a chef friend of mine, French chef of mine. When he teaches students, he always says, he admonishes them to go to the market before they disappear. You know, if no one goes, um, they're going to they're gonna disappear. But I, I think uh, in France, there's, there's still enough of a demand, uh, you know, for, for the fresh produce and just the, the, the enjoyment of going to the market and, uh, you know, communing with people. And, you know, when it comes to the wine, um, it's, it's really, you know, people grow up, especially in a place like the Bordeaux region uh, or other wine regions of France, people grow up being, uh, you know, just exposed to, to wine and, and the aromas of, of wine and of, and of home cooking, frankly. Uh, but when children are, are you know, little, they're given diluted wine, you know, to, to taste. And in fact, my girls, Ooh. yeah. Um, and then becomes less diluted as they get older, you know, as they sort of become like every birthday, they, every birthday, they had, add <laughs> another trait, tablespoon yeah. of wine. So by, by the time they're 16, they're like, throw down mama, let me see some yeah, of that. Yeah. Well, you know, there's no, there's no taboo then they, and, and what's more is they're developing that part of their brain that, understands or that that's uh open to aromas and um flavor you know uh when you when you grow up being encouraged to you know smell the lemons and smell smell the wine uh it's it's just part of life there's no oh gee that's that's alcohol and that's that's bad for me i mean of course there is um you know, wine should be consumed w- with within reason, but that almost never even comes into question there. You know, they don't, uh, it's not a, it's not, let's go get hammered. It's just a part of, 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 of life and with a meal, maybe not every meal, of course. Uh, and, uh, and in France, they say a, a meal without wine is called breakfast, <laughs> but even at breakfast <laughs> they have they have wine, uh, sometimes a champagne or something, but that that's rare. Um, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is that, you know, you, you, you're, it's a, it's an awareness. It's a, it's a ability that you develop to articulate what it is you're sensing. And it's just another way to, you know, keep your brain developing. And, um, for the, for my girls, whenever we, we have some wine, uh, they'll, they'll sniff, the wine and say, Oh, I smell cherries and strawberries. And, um, you know, and it's all, it's all right. There's no really wrong answer when you're, and, and something I wanted to tell you, uh, you know, have not being much of a wine and enthusiast as you've, you've told me, (laughs) um, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's more the, the story and the enjoyment behind the wine um, you know, when I was uh, an athlete in high school and college, I was so adamant about not letting a drop of alcohol pass my 
lips. You know, I just would never think of drinking. Meanwhile, some of my other classmates did. Um, and somehow they were sometimes faster than me on the field, which I never understood. But that's another story. Um, but the the wine, um, you know, it, every bottle has its own story. And, um, you know, you open a bottle of wine, usually, hopefully, it's around a group of friends or family, and there's an occasion attached to it. And, you know, you, you kind of swirl the wine in your glass and, and just take in the aromas. And it's kind of fun to articulate, try to articulate what it is you're sensing and um, enjoy that with, with a meal. Um, and so it's, it's more, for me, it's more actually the aromas of wine than, and the story behind it. You know, if you meet the winemaker and you're out there photographing him in, in his vineyard while he's pruning the vines or harvesting the grapes, it, there's a much greater meaning behind that bottle when you then open it later. So that's, that's kind of what the wine has been to me. And I'm trying to bring that out in, in the book, um, you know, how, how special it can be and um, what we can learn from you know, from winemakers, especially now from organic and biodynamic, which is something that I talk about a lot in the book, whether it's wine or whether it's grass-fed pastured meat or, you know, and eggs or organic vegetables raised in a sustainable way. Right. And I mean, that's what's so nice about this book is whatever topic you mention, um, you know, the the oils and the fats, an entire chapter is devoted to all these things that you've, you've mentioned in passing during the show about the, the, the tallow and the, uh, the butter and the bacon fat and the lard and, um, down into the, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the approved, uh, uh, oils derived from plants like avocado oil, walnut oil, macadamia nut oil, and a few little tidbits about how to cook with them and best practices uh, with that uh, with that French influence, but also um, you know it's not it's not uh, I wouldn't say that the content is limited to uh, everything everything all things French. It's also kind of a comprehensive education on all these aspects of uh, ancestral inspired health traditions. So you kind of you kind of piece these together really nicely. And yeah, um, when I reference that we, we we cut a ton of pages because we had to put a binder on it. It's already six hundred thirty six pages, but I'm I'm you know. I'm, I'm venturing to say that if you if you grab this book, you will have a lifelong resource uh, to the to the tune of those great old time cookbooks that have been in American kitchens forever. I, I'm not sure the um, that there's like the uh, what are some of the ones like the Betty Crocker cookbook or I remember the uh, the Jane Brody book had a good twenty year run. I don't think some of the info is probably outdated, but. Mastering the Art of French Cooking by Julia uh -huh. Child. Oh, right. The Julia you know, Child book. Yeah. That's, I mean, I would love for this to be a classic. It's an update. Like <laughs> it's, yeah, it's volume update. two. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, when was that written about? Was it uh, well, it's, decades it's ago? Well, it's gone through uh, many iterations. Um, gosh, the first one was, well, I have to, I have to look it up because I, I don't know that it's... Um, Actually, her this this it's a two volume uh, thing, mastering the art of French cooking, volumes one and two. And um, let me see if I can find that. But you know, the 
the oh yeah 1961 I think was the first time it was published and um, she actually did this Julia Child with with two of her friends Louisette Bertol and Simone Beck whom she knew you know in France she and, had to get some legit co-authors with like a French yeah. pronunciation. That's so, right. That's yeah, she did. Yeah, six hundred, you know, uh, six hundred and eighty-four pages, fiftieth anniversary book. So I guess what you've done is kind of, um, you know, recognize the um, the health hazards of going in with the grain foods and the the sugary uh, treats and kind of. Uh, taken all that's all that's good about um, about French cooking and and positioned it so that it could be uh, this this latest greatest update for uh, ancestral enthusiasts in particular. Definitely, definitely, that's that's been my uh, goal. To but you know even for people who aren't necessarily in this ancestral paradigm yet, uh, you know that that they would find these recipes palatable, in fact, more than palatable. And in fact, these recipes uh, and traditions are, you know, they're, they're for everyone. Um, and they're for, you know, for the foodies and the, the chefs, uh, you know, the, the few recipes uh, in the French traditional cuisine that require uh, flour, you know, well, I use uh, cassava flour or or something actually quite traditional, and especially in the southwest of France, walnut flour, uh, for example. And you know, these are recipes that really anyone can can access and can can create at home. Uh, it's you know, it's not scary. Uh, and I, I I try to show I try to show in you know since I'm a photographer, I had to photograph everything. So I have you know some step by step things on how to cut up a chicken or fillet a fish or, you know, certain things, uh, certain recipes have, have more involved processes. But, um, you know, the main thing is just to feed your family well and focus on nutrient density, nutrient dense foods, whether those are, uh, well, vegetables, but you know, I, I focus primarily in the book on uh, on the meats and the fats, I do have a chapter on vegetables that sort of go alongside these these uh, dishes, and I think it's one of the um, one of the famous authors of French cookbooks, Patricia Wells, who said that the French the French consider uh, vegetables to just be something that takes up room on the plate. <laughs> So I don't, I I don't think that's necessarily true because the French do like to have their side dishes and their salads. But um, in the book, I've really focused on, uh, you know, the different different meats, the fats, and I did throw in uh, for the for the foodies the a desserts chapter. I mean, you can't have a French cookbook without desserts, but uh, you know, everyone has their favorite sweetener. Um, non-sugary sweetener that they like to use. So I tried to adapt recipes to the different kinds of, you know, preferences people have. Even for dairy-free, for example, you know, I've used some coconut milk in some recipes or have described where people could replace, you know, the dairy or leave it out entirely. So I've tried to, you know, cover cover all the ground. And even for 
uh, keto lovers, you know, I, I don't have the science down with keto myself, but for those who enjoyed nutritional ketosis and eating keto, you know, they can basically pick their fats, pick their meats, you know, pick their uh, non-starchy vegetable if they like, and kind of put it together in the way that they would like um, using these French traditional recipes. So I'm hoping it'll appeal to a lot of a lot of people and help them. Oh, that's a well, very well said. And I, I just want to reiterate for the listeners, like all these little topics that she's breezing by quickly are pages and pages of intense and super interesting detail in the book. I mean, this is like taking, a, I think, a year-long college course in French wine cooking and ancestral health. And so, you know, you mentioned cheese, and there's, there's these pages and presentations of 15 different kinds of cheese and what region of France they all emanate from and a little bit of education about each one. Because uh, I know when I go into the store, I just grab, you know, I like <laughs> yellow cheese instead of orange cheese. That's like one of my main purchasing principles. But beyond that, you know, now you can kind of see there's a the story about your your friends here that are raising the um, the goat, the picture of the little goat, he's going to make some cheese for them. And it's just so, it's just <laughs> such an eye-opener for us to go beyond. I think there's a lot of people out there, like me perhaps, that know how to eat healthy and have the, uh, you know, the, the health or the scientific information about why you should eat this and not eat that and can even do a podcast on that topic. But, you know, to have that cultural flavor here, I think that's what's going to be of, of most interest to the people that are perhaps already deep into this game or uh, kind of new to it and just want to step in from a different direction like you did with your life where what if you just got tossed into France for a few years and that was your kind of foray into uh, what eventually turned out to be, you know, a, a hardcore paleo style eater. But you, you know, the direction that you took is fascinating where they just all spun together and, and turned out this book. So, um, Thanks, Brad. yeah, I guess, you know, we could do hours more, uh, talking in detail about the book. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you should narrate this thing. That would be a, a big chore, huh? Yeah, that would be... I, I, I'd i do it, but uh, it would take a while. That's true. It's it would, kind it of would, long. You have to do like uh, <laughs> 45 minutes a day for, right. <laughs> for many, many days. But um, for now, the book is uh, out on the shelves. You can pre-order it, I think, already on Amazon. And we're going to do some uh, talking about this further on com, But... Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for spending time to talk a, a little bit about what's in there, and hopefully people can get enticed to, to to go look further. And I guess you can grab this off the shelf and, and turn right to the cheese section, read it, and put it back. Is that allowed, or do you have to read it cover to cover, Tanya? Oh, no. You, you know, I, I wrote this so that people could just kind of pick the parts that were interesting to them, pick the chapter. You know, the people who are crazy for awful, they can go right to that chapter, and I have I don't know, 20 awful recipes, you know, organ meats. Um, or if you just want to learn about wine, or if you just make a recipe, you know, you pick your recipe, your meat, you pick the recipe. And I have with all the meat recipes, I have uh, several suggestions for wine pairings. So, um, you know, but I, but I wrote it so that each chapter is its own kind of encapsulated um, piece. And, you know, you just, just look at what's most interesting to you and, and go from there. Love it. The Bordeaux Kitchen from Tanya Teshka. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking about it on the show. 
and we'll get you back on to talk about maybe some more specific topics, some little tidbits where we can focus in further. But I think that's a great overview of this masterpiece that's on the shelves and uh, ready to change your life if you grab it. Thanks, Brad. It's been really great to, to talk with you about it. I hope it helps a lot of people. Thanks for listening. Da, 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 da. Hi, listeners. It's Brad Kearns. I'm so excited to introduce you to our all-new, comprehensive, online multimedia course called the 21-Day Primal Reset. This is everything you need to go step-by-step into a lifestyle transformation and go primal. Go all in. Make the commitment. We are here with an amazing online course with over 60 videos taking you through step-by-step daily challenges in the areas of diet, exercise, and lifestyle. You also get to download an assortment of print and audio materials. We have an awesome app that helps you engage with the community while you're doing your 21-day reset, daily inspirational emails, keeping you focused, giving you tips and tricks. We have shopping lists, PDFs. Oh, it's a great collection of items all on the login portal as soon as you register instant and lifetime access, everything you need. What a great gift to give someone, family, friend, loved one that you want to share the gift of primal living with. And even if you're an expert long-term, what a great way to kind of tune up and get that reset going, build some momentum if your goals are reducing excess body fat, being healthy, and staying with the Primal program for the rest of your life. That's what this journey is, is a kickstart to generate long-term lasting lifestyle change. And when you enroll at primalblueprint.com, we have a wonderful selection of add-on product kits at an extreme discount to thank you for enrolling in the digital course. So you can throw in some wonderful Primal Kitchen products or Primal Blueprint supplements. Check it all out at primalblueprint.com. Everyone deserves a reset. You deserve a reset. Make the commitment for 21 days and we'll be with you every step of the way to guide you.